So today's reading is from Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 34, and it's on the screen and in your leaflets and in your Bibles. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your hearts heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. got a quiz for you this morning. And if you get it right, I'll, um, I'll give you a special treat. Okay, 1989, number one, Aria Charts. Won the uh, Song of the Year, the Record of the Year, the Best Male Pop Vocal. Was voted to be uh, one of Rolling Stones magazine's 15 best whistling songs of all time. Anyone got any ideas? Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. In every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Sorry, okay, I'll stop. (laughs) My kids are worrying really, really profoundly at this point. It is interesting though, isn't it? It's such a terrible song. I, I'm sorry if you like it, uh, but I don't know too many songs that are more annoying than that song. But it got best male pop vocal song of the year, record of the year in the Grammys. In 1989, we thought this song was pretty cool. And I actually think uh, it's because of the... Uh, the emphasis that it has, this call to not worry. We want to not worry, don't we? Who here thinks, I'm going to deliberately bind myself up with anxiety and stress today? Is that what you think? No. No, you want stress-free life. You've got the, the image of the beach, maybe up in the Whit Sundays or you know, somewhere really beautiful and you're just kicking back. No worries, mate. No worries. We long for it, but it is just so hard to do because fear and worry and stress, I think, are inescapable. They're an inescapable feature of life on earth because we are finite creatures 
in a fallen world. We have very limited resources in a world that sometimes can be phenomenally scary. When we're honest with ourselves, we are weak, vulnerable, flawed, mortal. The media saturates us with this bombardment of stress. Just watch the news, text your blood pressure before and at the end and see what happens. We live in a world in Australia that has almost never been safer, but we feel less safe than we ever have. Many of the structures that used to support us in this world are actually eroding so much so that a guy called Soren Kierkegaard, who I introduced you to last week, uh, he said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And freedom is the one thing our society values above all other things. You've just got to be free, don't you? You've got to have that personal path. And you've got to do it yourself, your way. You know, Sinatra, I did it my way. We prize freedom, but the cost of freedom is worry. Because if you've got more choice, you have infinite amounts of ability to stuff it up completely, don't you? You know, when uh, back in the day, not that long ago, uh, there was no choice to make about what you were going to do when you left school. Why? Because you did what your parents did. Yes, that's what people did. And so you may have hated that, but there was no sense of, hey, actually, what am I going to do? But you look at the courses that are available, and if you go across, you know, going and doing a job or maybe going to TAFE or maybe going to uni, there is so many options. And, like, I don't think I'm really that old, but, you know, someone thought that was funny. Ha, 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 ha. Find out who that is and punish them severely. <laughs> but there seems to be about 10 times more options at university than when I went through university. You know, there used to be, I think, like three or four different options of engineering. Like, how many different types of engineers are there these days? You almost can just invent your own adjective and add it to the front of engineering, and you've got your own degree. Uh, there's all, and how do you know you've actually got the right degree? You've got so much opportunity to, to, to stuff it up. And I'd like to advocate this morning, mums and dads, for arranged marriages, okay? Uh, because if you didn't have to worry about who you were going to end up with, think of all the problems that would be solved. How much stress and anxiety about finding Mr. or Mrs. Right? If mum and dad have sorted it out for you, you don't have to worry about it. You might have to worry about other things, but you see, the more choice there is, the more stress there is. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And into this world, into our world, as well as the first century, Jesus speaks one of his hard words. Do not be afraid. Don't worry. Hard for us to hear, isn't it? Some of us here... It's especially hard for you to hear because worry is such an ever-present part of your life. And it's easy for you to listen to a sermon like this and start to feel stressed. Not only does the preacher sing at us, but they're talking about stress. 
Some of you are already starting to feel it, aren't you? The heart rate's a little bit elevated, that kind of thing. Because we actually feel that fear and worry and anxiety are actually something that are beyond our control. Jesus tells me not to worry, and I fail every single day. And so then we condemn ourselves and we worry about the fact that we're failing. And it builds. Can I just say, though, Jesus doesn't think that this is an impossible quest for us. He doesn't actually think that you have no hope of doing this. Having said that, he's not saying it's going to be a walk in the park. The one command that comes up most frequently in Scripture, do not be afraid. More than 300 times in Scripture, God tells his people, do not fear. Do not fear. And so obviously, this is important for us. And as we go in, we'll see that I think Jesus gives us something that is of phenomenal depth. A lot of ways of dealing with stress and anxiety are ways of just managing the symptoms. Okay? They just dabble on the surface. But Jesus alone gives us a way of actually dealing with the heart of the issue. So if you are feeling stressed, please hang in there. Can I say? Hang in there. Come and chew me out later. Tell me I haven't understood it totally. I'm really happy to listen to that. uh, And uh, I will be happily to be repenting. Uh, But this, I think, is really, really important. Can I say I've, I've, you know, funny enough, I've been quite stressed uh, about this sermon. It's probably one of the harder issues because it is such an issue where I could stomp all over you. And so in my efforts to not stomp all over you, I spent time this week uh, talking to Paul, psychologist, talking to Michelle, a GP, and talking to others who actually suffer from anxiety disorders to try and understand from different perspectives how this is. Uh, This is something that I think it's really important that we get right. So we need to actually ask... Why do you worry about things at all? Like, I don't have a dread of someone sneaking into my house and stealing my old running shoes. Okay, that that is not something that before this moment I've really thought about. Uh, It's not something that keeps me up at night. Why? Because I simply do not care about those running shoes. If I go there and find that Karen has thrown them in the bin... I probably wouldn't even notice because I have no attachment to those shoes whatsoever. You could steal my car. That'd be a little bit annoying, but I don't live by my car. I drive a Holden Cruise, you know, gutsy 1.4 litre automatic. Yeah, defines me. Not at all. Not at all, because it'd be saying total wimp. Uh, That's okay. I'm bigger than that. I can, I'm not living through my car. So you can steal my car. I'm not really worried about that myself. But having said that, if I was out bush, hundreds of kilometers away from support, and you stole my car, or something went wrong, it'd be a different matter, wouldn't it? 
Because that car doesn't represent my ego. That car represents safety. That car represents security. That car represents my life, perhaps. And so I might worry when I go out bush to make sure, if much as possible, that car stays safe and functional because I'm invested heavily. We worry about the things that we really care about. Our worries are like a trail of breadcrumbs. And if you follow from your worries, you will find they lead you back to the things you really care about. I don't care about my running shoes, but I care about my family. I care about my kids. I care about my wife. I care about those things. And so my worries group around that. But I don't just care about people. I don't care for stuff that much. But I do find sometimes I care about what people might think of me. I care that I get seen as someone who can do things, someone who is effective. And so sometimes I'll worry about whether that's getting noticed. Maybe I'm getting misunderstood. Maybe I'm not getting appreciated the way that I want. What do you worry about? That's not something I'm particularly proud of. That's something that I'm trying to work on. But sometimes I find those worries come up. What do you worry about? I know some of you are facing formal season. Is there anything more stressful than asking that person, what if they say no? Tell you a horrible story that I went through. I asked a girl to go to the formal. She said yes. That was like in about March. I was getting organized, you see. Formal wasn't till the end of the year. But come the end of the year, she'd forgotten and she was going with someone else. Oh, the pain, the worry, the stress. That was funny. And I ended up taking a girl who ended up marrying my best friend. That's okay. But some of you will resonate with that, won't you? For those of you who proposed to your other half, what did you feel as you asked the question? My heart was racing. I was that edgy. Why? Because I really cared about that answer. Ed Welsh says it like this. He says, anytime you want you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxieties because you might not get them. She could have said no. He could have said, I will not go to the formal with you. They could have forgotten and broke my heart. Anytime you can't control the fate of the things you want or love, you will notice fears and anxieties because you might lose them. I'm not looking forward to the first time Hannah drives out of the drive with a pee on the car and I am not sitting next to her. I will find that incredibly stressful because I cannot control, not that I ever could, but I cannot control the fate of the things that I love. He goes on, he says, worry reveals our allegiances. Fear and worry are not mere emotions. They are expressions of what we hold dear. They reveal the loyalties 
of our hearts. We can often follow our worries to the things that we actually love more than God. That's a challenge. I want to stop at this point and just do a quick aside. Because as we talk about fear and worry and anxiety, there is actually a medical condition that we call anxiety disorders. Okay, You've probably heard about it in the press. Uh, And supposedly, if the people who count these things, I don't know quite how they count these things, uh, if they are to be trusted, there are increasing numbers of people suffering from anxiety disorders in our, um, in our society. And I want to speak about that just briefly because I don't think what Jesus is saying directly applies in that category. Okay? So there you have it. And there's a couple of different factors. I stole this out of Paul's brain and then I twisted it a bit. So... Uh, anything that's good came from me. Anything that's bad, talk to him. Um, so I'm a bit concerned about how this is going to come across. Paul said, and I think quite rightly, there's a key component with psychological um, disorders, of which an anxiety disorder is one. Uh, it's biological. Genetics has to do with brain chemistry. Okay, For some of us, uh, because of the genetic hand we have been dealt, uh, this doesn't quite work the way it's meant to. And so genetics will influence those things and our physiology. So that's one part. Another part is environment, okay? Uh, And with environment, include family of origin. So mums and dads, we teach our kids, one of the things we teach them is how to stress either well or not well. Uh, We will learn patterns of behaviour from there. But that also includes these things that are coming in from outside. So the stresses themselves. And then the third component that Paul called psychological, and I've spiritualized it, I call it psycho-spiritual. Does that sound good? Um, These are the beliefs that we meet it with, the worldview that we have, and the ongoing thoughts and then the behaviors that arise out of those thoughts that are there. Okay, so you have genetics, can't really control that. You have the environment, you can't really control that. And you have this psycho-spiritual thing. And this is where I think Jesus is speaking, predominantly. He helps us think about the other factors. The fall impacts biology. Okay, the environment is shaped by our doctrine of sin and all those kind of things. But where Jesus is focusing, I believe, is in this psycho-spiritual world. When we're talking about the medical condition of anxiety disorders, we're talking primarily about biology, okay? That biology impacts the other areas. It impacts how you might respond to environmental stuff. It impacts how you actually, that psycho-spiritual side of things. But there's nothing, um, there's nothing wrong with people with this biological disorder going and getting help through medication. Some people will say to take drugs for these things, a lack of faith. Can I say, rubbish. That is absolute rubbish. Praise God that we live in a society where people are starting to unravel some of these things and provide help for people who are crippled by what is the effect of the fall on their bodies. So as someone wrestles with this, 
what they're praying for is not more faith, although faith will impact that, but they're asking God for healing for what is actually a disorder. Okay, that's really important. Can I say, one of the people I spoke to, I think, brilliantly said, uh, they had the privilege of having both varieties, uh, both the disorder, the biological disorder, and then the garden variety worry, anxiety that all of us do. So even if you ask someone this morning who has a diagnosable anxiety disorder, I guarantee you worry in the ordinary way too. And this person actually said they could pick which one was which. Uh, and you may be able to do that as well. Okay, so enough of that aside. Um, the thing I just want to say is that I think as a society we have a tendency to medicalise things. And as we give it a name in medicine, it means it's no longer my fault. It's, or No, backtrack, not fault. It's no longer something I need to take responsibility for. Okay, not, nothing to do with fault. It's got to do with taking responsibility. Uh, and so uh, we tend to uh, jump onto diagnoses as a way of actually saying, I don't have to deal with this. I want a pill or I want someone else to fix this or you're just going to have to put up with the implications of what's happening. Okay. I don't think that's necessarily the right way of actually looking at it. I think as Christians, uh, we can't allow ourselves to be defined by an illness process. We are Christ's people. His spirit is alive and well with us. And he wants us to deal with this and become people who more and more reflect his purposes. Okay. The danger and the power of worry. What is the power? If you are a worrier, you know the power of worry. You know the power of fear. Fear and worry take over. They narrow the world down to the thing that you are most concerned about. Maybe that's in a crisis. Maybe that's a long-term anxiety. Maybe it's the thing that you wake up in the night and it's on the mind. Maybe it's the thing that when your mind rests, it gravitates to. Maybe it's the sheer panic and fear of being in a particular situation. I can remember uh, climbing Mount Bruce uh, in Western Australia, the second highest mountain in WA. Uh, there's one part as you go around, uh, you go across a rock face and then up with a, a drop behind you. And I had the privilege of carrying our entire family's gear on my back, bludging kids and car, and I don't know why they weren't carrying the gear, but I had the gear. And so you've got that lovely backward kind of feel. I reckon it took me, ask the kids, about 10 minutes to get enough courage to work my way out onto that rock. It was dead easy. It was way easier than I thought it was going to be. But I had visions, not just of being physically maimed, but then all the fears of what would then happen to my family. It triggered larger fears for me. Maybe that's something that you resonate with. But that was powerful. That was powerful in the moment, but it gave me an insight to something I've seen further down the track. Our fears, our anxieties shape our world. They are powerful, but they are also dangerous. Jesus warns us. You remember the parable of the sower? Sower goes out, scatters seed. Some falls on the rocky path. Okay? Bird comes along, eats it, goes away. Okay. Some falls in the shallow soil, the rocky soil, springs up fast, withers under the heat, and dies. 
Third lot falls in amongst the thorns. Remember that one? The seed that fell among the thorns, Jesus says in Luke 8.14, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Jesus is actually telling us that worries choke fruitfulness. Our growth in Christ can be significantly impaired or destroyed by our worries. How? Because worry, fear, anxiety may at its heart be an expression that I don't trust God to look after this. So God makes these promises, I don't actually believe you, and so I worry. And we find ourselves feeling like an orphan in a chaotic and out-of-control world. There is no one we can turn to. We are alone. There is no saviour. Maybe you felt that. That is that grip of fear. There is no one you can turn to. But into that, Jesus speaks and the scriptures speak more than 300 times. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know how you heard that as Hannah read it for us. Sometimes, and I have to confess that I mostly used to hear it this way. I used to hear the law. Thou shalt not fear. And when I was afraid, when I did worry, when I was anxious, I felt its weight and the condemnation that came with it, which sometimes then even provoked fear. And when I was afraid, when I did worry, when I was anxious, I felt its different way. Someone's phone is singing to them. There is a completely different way of understanding how this word is spoken. And I think as we look at Luke 12, we see this is how Jesus speaks. There's a completely different way of understanding how this word is spoken. You're walking with dad through a dark forest, okay? And dad stops just on the inside when you're starting to feel a bit anxious. And he gets down and he looks you in the face and maybe rests his hands on your shoulders, looks you in the eye, maybe picks you up, and he says, do not be afraid. Do you hear the difference? One is the law, looks you in the face and maybe rests his fatherly encouragement that invites us to trust in the one who has never let us down, to trust in the one who is so powerful, who alone can say, do not be afraid. One is the law. One is a reassurance from a loving parent. Trust me. Now, brothers and sisters, I think both are there in Scripture. We need them both because sometimes we can excuse our worry as just a, oh, well, I'm just a worrier. But it is an expression of unbelief so often. We don't trust God and we need to see that because it's dangerous. But we need to hear the trust, I think, 
even more. Because I think we're, here, we're wired to hear condemnation. We need to listen for the Father's reassurance. Think about it. When you were little and you had a bad dream, what did you do? You got out of bed and you ran down the hall and you jumped into bed with mum and dad. Yes? And if you didn't, you wanted to. You wanted to be there. We want to hear this word, don't be afraid, don't worry, as an invitation to seek out the one who makes that promise to us. To turn to him, not to hide in your bed under your covers, wondering if you are going to get eaten by whatever is underneath the bed. Real or imaginary. You want to seek the Father's arms. Know him, Jesus says. So if you look in Luke chapter 12, what's he do? He says, don't worry about all this stuff. Why? Verse 24, consider the ravens, the birds. God looks after them and they're just... Know him, Jesus says. So if you look in Luke chapter 12, what's he do? He says, don't worry about all this stuff. Why? Verse 24, consider the raven tomorrow. Who cares about grass? God cares about grass. God cares about birds. How much more does he care about you? Verse 29, he tells us not to run around, not to set our hearts, not to focus on all these things because that's what people who don't believe in the God who says, do not worry. That's what they do. Jesus says, your father knows you need them. For those of you who are kids and live at home, particularly if you're probably under the age of about 18, you don't think, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? And if you do, it's just if you ask mum and dad what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Yes? Because mum and dad know that you need dinner and they are in the habit of providing. God knows you need it. And he is a God who has, through the history of scripture and ultimately in the cross shown that he is a God who loves to give. He knows your needs. Verse 31, 32, he promises you the kingdom. Tells you to seek it, but then tells you the next verse, it's actually already yours. Let our fear let our worry take us to the generous, loving arms of the Father. And as we do that, I'm going to jump over the point fighting fear with fear. If you want to look at that, look a bit earlier in chapter 12, verse 5, and then round about there, just write that down. But as you actually know your Father, you have to also know yourself. Because we are frail. We can't control. Look at verse 25. He says there, he says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You can't. Add a single hour to your life. Or if you've got a different translation, a single span to your height. And funny enough, Jesus says, Since you cannot do this very little thing, little thing, so making yourself taller, some of you would love to, uh, you can't do that. 
Why do you worry about the rest? Know your own frailties. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus out going sailing with his disciples. And they're kind of confident, got this home territory, got this under control. Life's easy. And within a blink, the storm comes down and we're going to die. We need to know our frailty, our finiteness. We cannot control. We cannot protect. But God can. Our Father who takes us in his arms and says, do not be afraid. Seek the kingdom, he tells us. That means first and foremost, we seek the king. And then as we seek the king, we seek what the king wants. We seek the pattern of life that the king sets before us. If you want a Ferrari, I'm sorry, Jesus is not going to give it to you. As you seek the kingdom, if that's what you want, that's what you think you need, Jesus is not going to give you that. But what Jesus will do is show you just how empty your desire for that thing is. And so maybe you won't be anxious if you never get it. Jesus recalibrates our life. So how do we do it? How do we not fear in a really scary world? Can I give you an exercise? I don't know if you're in the habit of doing these things. Uh, It would be really good. It would be really good if you pondered some of these things. Follow those breadcrumbs. Look at it. Look at the moments of your fear. Reflect on them. What was it that you are truly afraid about? What is it that you worry about? And then do this exercise. What you need to do is you need to repent of the fact that you thought either that was important and more important than God. Or maybe it is important, but you didn't trust God to get it for you, to look after it for you. We need to recalibrate our hearts and see why what Jesus offers us is better. We need to refocus and see how God actually is able to look after the stuff that we worry about so much better. Sit down and maybe think, what is it I'm worried about? I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about providing for my family. I'm worried about their future. Why Cameron, is God a better father than you? It's worth asking. Don't ask about me, ask about you. Why is God's approval more important than the approval of your workmates? Why is the love of Christ better than any spousal love that you could possibly get? Why is Jesus a better answer? A way of actually helping this, I found a couple of resources during the week. I read this book, Running Scared. It's a big book, like not huge, but it's worth getting. Uh, If this is an issue for you, uh, it's worth getting. But you may actually want to work through something that's more practical than just reading a book. Book is practical, can I say. This other thing, When I Am Afraid, 
a step-by-step guide away from fear and anxiety. I've ordered a whole lot of them. There's two down the back, and there's more coming in next week. Um, it is like an eight-study series. You could do it as a Bible study. You could do it for personal devotions. And it works through this whole thing. Ed Welsh uh, is brilliant. He's well worth reading on this topic. Can I encourage you to dig into your worries, but let them take you, not spiraling round and round and round in your worries, but let them take you to the one who can look after it, and that is Christ. The other thing I'd encourage, two, two last things. Take small steps. If you are a worrier, sitting on the side of the pool wondering when I'm going to feel like getting in when you can't swim, is never going to happen. You're not going to do it. Jesus, in the passage that Hannah read for us from Luke 12, is dealing primarily with the fear caused by not having enough wealth. And what's Jesus' answer? Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. So if you want to conquer a fear of not having enough money, give it away. And then you will embody the life of the kingdom that he calls you to, which is a life of generosity. Maybe you're not ready to sell the house and give it to the poor. Maybe you are. But can I say, once you've identified your fears, how will you take little steps so that God can demonstrate to you more and more and more that he can be trusted? If you never jump, how will you know that your father will never drop you? What things can you do to say, Jesus, I trust you. Show how trustworthy you are. Ultimately, though, we will fear. To fear is human, and Scripture tells us that. There's not this ideal Christian life pre-Christ's return that has no fear, no worry. We will fear. Where does our fear take us? Does our fear take us to Christ? Does our worry take us to him? Maybe you need to prepare your hearts so that you are ready for them when they come up. Rather than being blindsided by this fear, blindsided by anxiety and worry, identifying what it is, knowing why Jesus is better, he gives better answers that God can be trusted Preparing your hearts. And one way of doing that is hiding God's word in your heart. This is one of my favorites. Memory verses that we were learning a few years back. Maybe we'll get to again. Psalm 53. We used to chant this around the table because it's chance really. Well, let me chant it for you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere... My kids used to say myrtles uh, do to me. And that just helped us remember it all the more. But the interesting thing about this, do you notice the first line? What's the first word? What isn't the first word? If. It's when. When I am afraid. When I am anxious. When I worry. But this psalm teaches us where to go as Christ encourages us with this fatherly word, do not fear. When I am afraid, I put...